Good morning, family. Hope everyone's having a great Sunday so far. Welcome again to River Valley Community Church. We continue our series through the book of Acts as we examine Acts uh, 11, verses 1 through 18. And if you've read this already, and if you were here last week, you're like, wait, this sounds very familiar, because it is. Uh, because what we experienced in Acts 10, uh, we read about and studied last week, now we hear how Peter explains it to the church of what exactly happened in Acts 10, uh, which is pretty funny to me. But before we do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Father, thank you so much for your word. That we can open it and we can read it and we can know you. And we can see how you've moved through history, but we can see your loving grace played out in human lives as they're changed, as your church expands. As as we see in Acts 11 and 10, Gentiles are brought into your community, into your family. So Lord, let us never forget that that is true for us if we know you through Jesus Christ. So Lord, as we open up this word, we pray that you show us what we need to see, that you teach us what we need to be taught, that you lead us in the ways we need to go. Lord, we love you, we seek you, and pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. So it explodes my mind. I can't even grasp it. It doesn't seem to fit into my brain case. This amazing fact, God uses his people. It just blows my mind because it seems such an ineffective way to go about accomplishing something. That he chooses imperfect people, sinful people, to accomplish his mission. I just don't understand why he would do something like that. But yet he does. When, uh, when I used to do youth ministry, it's funny because kids seem to like to play that game, that mental game of like, if I was God, how would I do stuff? And no one says they would do it like he does it. They always think they know something how to do it better than God does. But we obviously don't. We have to actually be humble enough to realize that God's plans are good, God's methods are good, and how he uses us, even how it might not make sense to us, is still good and he still accomplishes his plan. Because his plan is accomplished through his people. And it's been that way since the beginning. If you just think about the biblical story, we see how it's been that way, that God made Adam and Eve, and he gave them a task, he gave them a plan, and it was his plan to actually bring the whole world under his submission, to bring his whole world as make a temple garden out of it. And yet we know that even when they messed up and they failed, he still used his people to accomplish his plan. And it's amazing how we see that again and again. From using imperfect people like Noah to imperfect people like Abraham, and again and again to now even using imperfect people like ourselves as we are used by God to expand his church. And that's actually what I believe we see in Acts chapter 11. And that we see playing out in our lives as well. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, if you could turn to Acts chapter 11, we're starting in the beginning of the chapter of 11. If you don't have your Bibles, don't worry. It'll be on the screen. And it starts like this. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. This is referring back to chapter 10 that we saw how Peter went and preached to Cornelius and his household and the gospel expanded into Gentiles. And so that's what it's referring to. 
So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them? But Peter began to explain to them in order, I was in the city of Joppa praying. And in a trance, I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners. And it came down to me, looking at closely observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go to them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. And we declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. What are we supposed to take away from this passage? Well, as I mentioned, last week we talked about that same vision and how Peter went and preached to Cornelius and his household and how the Holy Spirit fell upon the Gentiles and how they were incorporated into the Christian community. And we focus on how that vision changed Peter's perspective and how a gospel vision changes our perspective as well. But this week we're going to actually take a different angle on it as we see how God has been worked through all of that. For I believe that's what Peter is focusing on, even as he's talking about how God used him. His focus is on how God did it all. And so we could really just sum up what Peter is saying is that God uses his people for his mission. That throughout all time, his redemptive purposes, his mission that God has had, he always uses his people to accomplish that mission. That Peter's making it clear that he was used by God to fulfill the mission that God gave him. And that mission, that redemption plan, is fundamentally God's plan to bring people into his community, to bring people into church, to expand the church now to all people. That Peter was on a mission from God, and God revealed this to him and worked through that, called him to it, prepared people for that mission, and finally was the one doing it, empowering the mission to be successful and complete. God uses his people for his mission. So we look at this passage and we see what is going on here. It starts off with Peter heading back up to Jerusalem. And it says all the, all the Christians basically in Judea and around the area had heard that the Gentiles had received the word of God. The rumor mill in the early church worked just as well as the rumor mill in the modern church. It was getting around. People were like, did you hear what happened in Caesarea? The Gentiles, people we had excluded, people who the Jews thought were on the outside, were now being brought in, and they were amazed. And so when Peter arrives back up to Jerusalem, it says he was confronted by the Jewish people. They're basically saying, what did you do? You went down and ate with the uncircumcised people? What did you do? And I love 
the ESV, that's what I read from every week, and that's what I study from. I love it. But it says that the circumcised party criticized him, saying you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. I love the ESV, but I think it does us a little disservice here because really it's just saying the circumcised confronted Peter. But, it's, but it translates it as the circumcised party, which starts making maybe us thinking if we know our New Testament history or, and we know the apostles, uh, the epistles, I would say, how there was a party that arose that was Jewish in nature and they thought Christians had to come through the Jewish faith before they could come, uh, become Christians and how this party kind of was a segment of the Christian church and there was kind of some division and Paul fights against that a lot. And so we might read this and say, oh, the circumcised party, already there's division in this church. But I don't think that's what it's saying. I don't think it's talking about there's a segment of the population that's criticizing Peter because all of the Christians in Jerusalem at this time were circumcised. They were Jewish. And so it's basically saying Peter arrives in Jerusalem and the church goes, what did you do? Because they can't understand what just happened. They're struggling just like Peter struggled to accept this vision. They're struggling to see how God's plan included bringing into Gentiles into the faith. People were not of the covenant. And so Peter says, this is why I did it. He explains to him, he says, I received this vision, this sheet descending from heaven, filled with all these animals, and how I knew this not just applied to what we eat, but actually applied to human beings, that human beings should not be called unclean, human beings should not be called common, because right when I was pondering what this vision meant, men arrived from Caesarea saying, come with me. And the Holy Spirit said, go with them. And so I said, all right, and I went. And I said, oh, I am not supposed to make distinction. That men are not supposed to be, humans are not supposed to be put in categories of clean or unclean because God says now they're all going to be me on mine. People from every tribe, every nation are now going to be mine. And so Peter caught that vision and went and preached. And the Holy Spirit fell upon these believers in Cornelius' household. Peter says, just like it fell on us at the beginning, guys. So who was I to stand in the way of what God was doing. I love their response. They fell silent. I love it. Because it's so real. Peter comes into Jerusalem and they're like, we've got some explaining to do. And he tells them, the Holy Spirit comes. And they're like, the Holy Spirit fell on them? The comforter that Jesus promised us fell on them. The thing that we saw on Pentecost, the mighty rushing wind, the tongues of fire, it fell on them. This thing that struck Ananias and Sapphira dead for lying to him, it fell on them. The the marker of being part of God's people fell on them. They had to shut their mouths. They said, we can't speak out against this. We can't argue against this. This is truly God at work. God was bringing the Gentiles in to their family, to his family. They had to let it sink in. But I love that. They fell silent, but they didn't stay silent. Because once they realized what God is doing, what did they do? They praised God. They gave glory to God, expressing their amazement expressing their joy at this fact that the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that he saves us from our sins. This this word that brings repentance, that leads to life, as they phrase it, has now been given to the Gentiles as well. 
They praised God as they realized this truth that God's church, his people, were expanding. That their mission was bigger than they even thought in the first place. They realized that God used Peter and that God uses his people for his mission. So we look at this vision and how Peter relays what happened in Caesarea to the early church. And I just want to say, I just want to focus on these a few aspects here. We can break down how Peter describes what happened in these kind of categories. That God revealed, God called, God prepared, then God did the work. And we see these kind of movements that Peter says about what happened. And we see that these movements of God actually form a pattern that when you start seeing that pattern, you see it everywhere throughout the Bible. But let's, let's look at Acts 11 and how he, just, he talks about this. He starts in the fact that God reveals. The whole basis for Peter's argument for why he went and preached the gospel to the Gentiles was, I received a vision from God, and it changed everything that God revealed to him that the gospel should not be limited just for the Jewish people but it should expand and go into all people the Gentiles everyone which I mentioned last week that as far as I know we're all Gentiles that we're I don't know if there's anyone of Jewish descent I know I I just did a DNA test and I'm one percent European Jew so maybe I qualify but I doubt it I'm still a Gentile (laughs) but we praise God because now because of this vision The church expanded, and all people from different nations and different tongues, all of them are now included in his church. And it all came from this, that God revealed to Peter his mission. He revealed to Peter the goal. He revealed to Peter who he was, and it changed everything. But that's been like that since the beginning. Because we worship a revealing God. That God reveals himself through the world he created, but specifically he reveals himself through his word and how he's moved through the prophets. And then we have it codified in in the word, the Holy Bible. And we know how God is because why he's revealed himself. Because if God does not reveal himself, guess what? We are lost. We're doomed. We're on our own. But praise be to God that actually he reveals himself since the time that the whole creation starts. He's revealing himself and we know him through how he's revealed who he is and his heart and his mission. So it changes everything because he reveals who he is. But he doesn't just reveal who he is. He actually now God calls or you could say God commands his people as well. We see this in Peter. He gets a very clear command. Go. So he goes, and we see Peter's faith in doing that, but he, he is called by God to now for a mission. He's called by God after God has revealed who he is, and so he goes and preaches the gospel as he's been commanded, as God uses his people for his mission. Because our God is a calling God. He always calls his people to respond. He commands his people to action. He commands and calls his people to respond by faith to respond with who they are to what he's done and what he's doing in their lives. And that's still true today, and it's been true throughout all history, that God is our calling God, a commanding God, who calls us to follow him. And that seems severe because so often we can't, let's just say we can't follow him. We fail and we stumble and we mess up, and, but God calls us. 
He commands us to be His. Actually, one of the great debates within early church history in the 14th century was this fact that God commands. And how can we do this? How can we follow God's commands? We don't have it in us to do this. But one of the great church fathers, Augustine, would say it like this. He says this, Give what you command and command what you will. Basically saying of God that God gets the right to command whatever He wants to do. But He also gives us the ability to follow His commands and to live for Him. That God is a calling, a commanding God to follow and have faith in Him. We also see that God is preparing. God prepares people. When Peter arrives down in Caesarea, what does he find? He finds a Gentile household who are God-fearers, who had been learning about who God was through the local synagogue probably, and he finds them. And they have been told by an angelic visitation that someone is coming who's going to bring you the words that are going to save you. He finds a group primed and ready to hear the gospel. That God was working and preparing these people, Peter and the people who are going to receive the gospel, to hear the gospel and to respond to the gospel. Our God prepares people to receive his word. And he prepares us to deliver his word. God is always toiling. uh, I just totally lost my train of thought. God is always working in people's hearts changing us, growing us, preparing us to receive his word. How would that change how you viewed life if you believe that? That God is preparing you. How could you walk through a day without seeing purpose and meaning? Yeah, in the good times, God is preparing us to celebrate him and see how all these good gifts come from him. And in the bad times, God is preparing us to grow and be stretched and have faith, knowing that even in these times, he's working out his purposes. How would it change how you view your life when you realize that God prepares? That through all of life, whether good or bad, he's preparing you for his mission. That he's bringing these past events in your life that you might not want to dwell on, but he might use them so that you can speak the truth to someone who's been through similar experiences. That through all these experiences in your life, he's growing you and moving you in ways that you can't even fathom until all of a sudden you can be used for God in these mighty ways that God is a preparing God who prepares us and prepares other people to receive the word that brings repentance, that brings life means that we see purpose in all of life as we see how God is at work. And the fact that God prepares means that God is the one who's at work. And that's what Peter emphasizes. Again, God does this, God did this, God sent this message, God sent this angel, he told me to go. He's emphasizing that God is at work. And so what happens, Peter goes down to Caesarea, he, he steps up to the plate, he preaches the gospel, and how does he say it? God showed up. The Holy Spirit fell upon these people. The Holy Spirit came upon these people. Why? Because they were convinced, they were convicted, they were changed, and they knew who Christ was and know Him, and therefore they have the Holy Spirit. The same thing that happened on Pentecost happened here. 
The Gentiles were fully incorporated within the Christian church because they were now God's people because God showed up and changed their lives. God showed up and showed him who he was and convicted them and changed them and brought them to faith in Christ. All because Peter showed up and preached as God told him. God uses his people for his mission. And because of that, the church expanded. God's the one who did the heavy lifting. He always does the heavy lifting. He gets the job done. God is the one who guarantees success in his mission. God is the one who guarantees it will be accomplished. He uses his people, and in our obedience, and even in our disobedience, he uses it to bring about his mission that God brings about his plan, and he gets it done. And this is all done to the glory of Christ. That's how the church responded in Jerusalem. They heard this, and they praised God. This is all done, all this thing, how God moved, how Peter responded, all of this was done so that the gospel could expand, the church can grow, that people come to know who Christ is and repent of their sins and respond with faith. And so the church grew, and it was done all for the glory of Christ, for the mission of God is to bring people to repentance through Jesus Christ. And God uses his people for that mission, to make Christ known. One of the great composers, music composers in history, Bach, used to write on some of his music sheets on top, SDG, which is a Latin, or it's abbreviated Latin for Soli Dia Gloria, to glory alone. God gets all the glory. Um, and so he would write that. Why? Because he was convicted as a personal conviction that he's doing this, even composing music his whole life, was to the glory of God alone. Sola dia gloria. He has to do the glory of God alone. But the reality is, if you are a Christian, every single day of your life, you should be writing at the header, sola dia gloria, to the glory of God alone. Then no matter what I'm doing, I might be sleeping in on a Saturday and just hanging out with my family. It's to the glory of God. I might be going to work that I don't really like and interacting with people I might not like that much, but it's to the glory of God. And it changes how we see all of life that we write on the header of every single day, of every single moment of our whole lives to the glory of God alone. And actually, it's what I believe God is writing over all of creation and over all of history. As to my glory, he says, my glory alone, that people will know me through my son, and I'll use my people to accomplish that. God reveals, God calls, God prepares, and God does the work. You see this pattern in Acts 11, I believe? And we see it again and again through Scripture. We see how fundamentally this is maybe changing our shift. Because last week we talked about how our perspective might change within the gospel. But this week we're focusing on what God has done throughout, the, throughout history, but throughout this event. And it reminds us of something. It bring, grounds us on some important truths. And that's the fact is when we look at the Bible, when we look at history, when we look at the world, we might be tempted to think of the Bible and the story of this world is fundamentally about us. We might be tempted to think that we're the heroes of the story. We might be tempted to think at the core of history is humanity. But this tells us something profoundly different. That why we might think that it's not the truth. For while 
yes, the story does include us, and we're using it, and it's important to us, we're not the heroes. God is the hero. And yes, while we think maybe we're at the center of this story, at the center of history, and it, it, we, that's not true. For why it encompasses all of our life and it's important to us and we have great ramifications and benefits to us, God is at the center of history and of the story. And why we think maybe at the core of all of meaning is humanity, we see no, in fact, our God is at the center, at the core our God, our Savior, our Creator, our Redeemer, our Father, that He is at the center of it. He gives meaning and purpose to everything. It's all to point to Him and bring us in. And we see this in this pattern again and again, that God calls, what God reveals, God calls, God prepares, and God does the work. Just think about some of those stories in the Bible you might know. And I'm willing to bet, I just did it this week that you can apply this, this kind of model on story after story of God revealing, God calling, God preparing, and then God doing the work. This thing about Abraham, the great man of the faith, the man who believed in God and so was accredited to him as righteousness, the, the father of the Jewish people. And we see his life, and you can probably pick in part and all these different events in his life, but we see this pattern that God revealed himself to Abraham. He reveals who he is through the covenant uh, visions that he had, through calling him out of, out of uh, the land of Ur. He reveals who he is to Abraham. And then he calls Abraham. He calls Abraham to be his, to, be his, to follow him, to, to, to go to this new land. He calls Abraham. He calls him fundamentally to do that big act of actually going to sacrifice his son. But we also see that God prepares Abraham. This doesn't all happen at once. If you remember for our study of Genesis, this happened over many, many years, how he prepared Abraham to be faithful and to follow him. And then when we see fundamentally through it all, God was the one doing the work as he moved Abraham, changed Abraham, and brought Abraham to where he was going to be. We see that pattern. God uses his people for his mission. Think about Moses, another one of those great heroes of the, the Jewish faith and, and the people um, from, uh, that we know through the Bible. This Moses who God revealed himself to Moses through the burning bush that was not consumed. God called Moses to go to Pharaoh to demand the release of the Israelites. God prepared Moses that he grew Moses up in Pharaoh's household. He gave him the skills. He provided Abraham, uh, Aaron to him to help him in this mission. He prepared him. And then fundamentally we see God doing the work through the miracles, through the plagues, through all the signs that he gave Moses again and again. Again, we see this pattern that God revealed, he called, he prepared, he did the work. Could go probably go on and on, but I'll spare you. But you can see that. You see this pattern again and again through Scripture, how God reveals himself to his people calls his people to himself, prepares his people, and then does the work in his people. You can probably look at most of the stories in the Bible and see this pattern, maybe in different order, but you see this pattern reflected that God uses his people for his mission, and he does the work. And this is still happening today. When you think about our church or the church or the the church of God, this is still happening today. God reveals himself 
Fundamentally, God reveals himself through, as I said before, the Bible. The whole of redemption history is here for us. We can pick this up and we can read it. And what do we see? We don't just see history. We don't just see some letters. We don't just see poetry. We see all that. But what do we see? We see God himself in action, in history, revealing who he is. We see his heart displayed for us. We see his character put on display for us so that we can know him and we can respond to him. And then God calls us still to this day we can read this and we see command after command call after call to be his to follow him to to do what he has commanded us we can we can fundamentally probably put him into the the great commandment to love the lord your god with all your with your heart your heart your soul and your might and your mind and we can see it in the great commission to go out and and make disciples of all nations, but he has these calls upon us. The Christian church has been called by God to worship God and to make him known, make Jesus known to all people. And then still today, God prepares us. The best way we see that is just with a little hindsight. Look behind you in the life you've lived, and we can easily see God's fingerprints on all of our life as he's prepared us for where we are this day, right now. He continues to prepare us. How we can look and we see how God has used all of our life to now work on us and conform us into the image of his son. And we see that truth that God is preparing us. And we know that God is at work. God is the one at work in us. Because if we're honest with each other, which I hope we can be, we know God is at work because if it was on us, we would have failed. If it was on us, we would have messed up a long time ago. If it was on us, this little body right here would have been filled with division and backbiting and, and all those sort of things. But God is the one at work growing us, moving us, bringing us to where we are supposed to be. To even God is at work in how we do or the ministry he's called us to do. Which is why I love how Paul says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 29, for he says, for this I toil. Paul's saying this, the spreading of the gospel, this I toil. I'm working hard for this. Struggling with all of his energy that he powerfully works within me. That Paul knew this fact that, yeah, I get to work. I do what God has called me to do. But how do I do that? Because he's powerfully working his energy in me. I can't do it. He's doing it through me. Why? Because God uses his people for his mission. And this is all for the glory of God through Jesus Christ. is to make him known. So River Valley Community Church, I just encourage you with this fact. That is why we exist as a church. Yes, we hope to grow people. We hope to be a family. We hope to have great fellowship events. We hope to love each other well. We hope that people can come in and they can grow in their faith. But fundamentally, the church exists to make the glory of Jesus Christ known here locally and across the globe. That fundamentally we have this mission. We're given this mission, this task that defines us, that's in our very DNA to proclaim Jesus Christ to all who have ears. That anyone who can hear needs to hear about who he is. So it's all for the glory of Christ. It's all for the glory of God and all that we do. 
And we're going to have fun. We're going to have great events. We're going to be a family and love each other deeply. Why? Because that's just some of the ways God uses us to proclaim his glory to this community in which we live. Because God uses his people for his mission. So I can ask, it's true for the church. It's true for us corporately. But what about you? I think the same pattern of God at work still exists for you right now, today. That God is revealing himself to you. And the great thing about this is we don't need to wait for a vision. We don't need to wait for some spectacular event that knocks us on our butt. We don't need to be waiting and waiting, when am I going to get mine? No, because it's right here. God has revealed himself through his word that you can take this up and read and you can know him. You can know how he loves you. You can know how he's moved heaven and earth to bring his son so that he can have re- we can have redemption if we have faith through him. That we know how he's revealed us if we just know the Bible. Know the word and we know who God is. And we know that God calls us. That God calls us to have faith. That the Holy Spirit is calling us internally, as the Word is actively calling us externally, to respond to who we know God to be. To respond to Him with our lives, with our faith. That we ask those big questions of life. Man, what's my purpose in life? What am I supposed to be doing? What does God want from me? And as well, if we had just submit to the word, open in us and, and submit to the word, we see what God wants for our life. He wants us to follow him. He wants us to live sanctified lives. He wants us to, to enjoy him and praise him. Again and again, that theme is, is, is throughout the Bible that if we submit to it, we see the truth that God calls us to be his. And then God prepares us. As I said, we just need to look at our lives and we see this. And the truth is that we know that God prepares us. He prepared our hearts to receive the gospel when we first heard. And he prepares us today for his mission and what he would have for us. That each of us have unique life shaped by different events or different backgrounds. And he uses all this woven together in this beautiful tapestry for his mission as he prepares his tools to be used in his mission field. And that is what we all are. We've been prepared by God. And this happens when we pick up the Bible. We don't just read it and know it. We don't just submit to it. But we now start applying it to our lives so that God's Word can prepare us for what He has called us to do. And then we see that God is at work. God is at work in our lives. He's at work in how he has moved us to where we are now, that we know it's only with God that we can follow God. It's only because of God that we can believe in God. It's only because of God that we can have faith in who he is, which means that when we not only pick up the Bible and we read it and know it, we don't just submit to it, we don't just apply it, but now we trust it. And we, we trust that this is the words of truth. We trust that he is the one who's done everything we need for salvation in a life of godliness. We, we trust that we have everything we have because he's given us the great promises of who he is in the Bible and we trust it and we know that he is not going to leave us or abandon us, but he who began this good work in us is going to bring it about to completion. We know he's at work. So we know, the God through, we know our God through the Bible. 
We hear God's call when we submit to the Bible. We understand God's preparation when we apply that word to our life, and then we trust and know God that's at work when we trust what the Bible says and promises to us. And when we do that, it helps us grasp that monumental fact that God uses us. God uses you for his mission, for the glory of Christ. Join me in prayer.